Fierce Women Writing is a partner of We Need Diverse Books, a nonprofit that advocates for diversity in children's and young adult publishing at every level. They have many programs that support this mission, including grants, mentorships, and retreats for writers, classroom book giveaways, an app for diverse book recommendations, and others. Learn how you can help them put more books featuring diverse characters into the hands of all children at weneeddiversebooks.org. Welcome to Fierce Women Writing, the podcast where female voices are elevated, creativity is ignited, and writers are inspired. I believe that stories can enlighten, heal, and entertain the reader and the writer. First, the writer has to quiet their doubts long enough to get the words on the page. I'm here to help you put your doubts away and focus on your creativity. Every day I talk to writers and would-be writers who aren't writing. They're not writing because they don't think they're good enough, because they've been rejected, don't have time, or don't know where to start. That's why I created this show, so that you can hear from other writers who want to inspire you to share the stories that only you can tell. I'm Sarah Gallagher. Come write with me. Hey there, Fierce Writers. Today's guest is Sonia Renee Taylor. Sonia Renee Taylor is the author of The Body is Not an Apology. She's also the founder and radical executive officer of the digital media and education company by the same name. Her work as an activist and educator has been highlighted in numerous countries and on major media outlets across the world reaching millions of people with her commitment to radical self-love and transformation. Here's Sonia Renee Taylor, reading from the second edition of The Body is Not an Apology, which was released today. Awesome. I want to place people really quickly. I just finished talking about my editor, Jeevan, and his own transformation around the work of radical self-love and how that began transforming me and the organization. Everyone's radical self-love boundaries were pushed wide open when it came time to pick a cover for this book. I'd walked into the planning meeting toting a laptop folder full of meek and mild Pinterest images and color themes meant to evoke feelings of freedom, love, and connection. I was not thinking radically. But when I cursorily flashed the image of my naked body sprawled against a background of purple hydrangeas, the room audibly gasped. The picture was one in a series of photos entitled American Beauty that featured trans and cis women of different ethnicities, body sizes, and aesthetics recreating the iconic scene from the 1999 film of the same name. Photographer Carrie Fruff's viral photos snatched beauty back from the singular American thin, blonde, young, white cisgendered ideal and placed it on a fat, dark-skinned, bald Black woman. That is the cover, Sonia, Jeevan pronounced in the conference room staff. Um, Jeevan, I really am not prepared to be naked in Barnes and Noble, I shot back. Sonia, this photo is what this book is saying, that it's okay to be you in your body, even if that body is naked. But it's not about me. I don't want people to see a fat black woman on the cover and decide not to buy the book, I retorted. There. As naked as my book cover were the boundaries of my own radical self-love. The fear that my body would mean rejection. Even if I didn't see my body as wrong, what if the world did? My editor had resurrected my original hypothesis. 
Either my unapologetic image would imbue others with the power and permission to be unapologetic in their bodies, or I would be judged, rejected, shrunk down, and contained. The only way to know was to broaden the potential of radical self-love and see if others could withstand the pressure. Once my scantily clad cover was released for feedback, Barrett Kohler's boundaries were tested as well. Amid the emphatic affirmations for the cover were also concerns that the images might be seen as pornographic or erotic. Marketers said that they would have to deliver the book in black plastic as adult content, with reps in Brazil proposing the image was too racy. Yup, Brazil! When Barrett Kohler higher-ups expressed concern that the image might be objectifying and sexualized, Jeevan responded like a budding radical self-love scholar, pointing out the double standard in the perceptions of my dark, large body compared to other book covers showcasing naked, thin, white women. He even identified how it is not men's roles to tell women, and in this case, women of color, whether or not they are being objectified and encouraged men in the company to listen to the perspectives of women of color. Barrett Kohler put the three pieces into practice in order to bring this book into the world. The team had to make peace with my different body on the cover and the necessity for a different creative process to bring this book to market, honoring that the message of radical self-love demanded more than standard operating procedure. Secondly, they had to make peace with not understanding and allowing others to not understand too. Not every team member or partner would get why I needed to be naked on the cover of the book, nor did they need to in order to bring the project to fruition. The organization did need to trust the judgment of the team members who did understand. By choosing to raise to prominence and listen to the voices of women and specifically women of color on this project, Barrett Kohler decentered the default bodies in their organization and relinquished the need to control the process, creating space to trust that there were simply parts of the journey they would not understand and that it was not something to fear. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. What are the ideal conditions for you to write? Someplace tropical. <laughs> uh, I was like, oh, my answers are always like, <laughs> yeah, someplace really sunny and bright, uh, preferably with a view of the ocean um, and in significant solitude. Those are probably my best conditions. Why do you write? Oh, why do I write? Because it's how I process the world. Uh, language for me is how I understand and pick apart and explore not only my interior, but the interiority of my relationship to the planet and to the people on it and to the beings and entities on it. And writing is how I make sense of things. Um, and I think that I've really been reflecting over the last few months, that writing is the guidebook that I write for myself to be able to go back to. How do you nurture your creativity? I think it's the same thing sort of in terms of like, what's my best place to write? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, when I'm connected to, for me, it really is important to be connected to beauty. It is difficult for me to be nurturing in my creativity when I don't feel um, surrounded 
by beauty. And the truth of the matter is we live in an incredibly beautiful world. So it's my job, no matter where I am, to figure out what is my access to beauty here. Um, and sometimes that is um, the beauty and the simplicity of meditation. Sometimes that is taking a walk. Sometimes that is noticing um, a bird or a tree uh, that I would have sort of just, you know, traipsed by uh, if I were not being intentional. Uh, and so it's really important for me to intentionally engage beauty as part of access to, to nurturing my creativity. What's your best writing tip? Be willing to let yourself suck. Uh, <laughs> yeah, by far. Um, when I, you know, when I'm committed to having a thing be good, it never comes out of me. Um, and it's because, you know, the first draft is rarely, rarely, rarely good. <laughs> uh, and so when I give myself permission to just let it suck, um, then I can get the words out and then I can, you know, I can, then I can clean it. I think of it like a baby, right? Like the baby isn't clean when it first comes out. The baby is covered in ick and gook and all of that. And that's okay, right? Like, and, and of course, right? Because the process of birthing a thing is messy. So let it be messy um, and love it anyway, right? Because when it, when it is all cleaned up and nestled against you, you know, it's going to be the most glorious thing. So let it be messy. What's your biggest writing challenge right now? Oh, getting started. It, for me, it's there can be times when writing feels like <laughs> recently I was driving with a friend and we came upon a guy and his son who were in a truck stuck on a patch of ice trying to, <laughs> you know, like the wheels couldn't get any traction. Mm -hmm. He wasn't, you know, strong enough to like push it himself. Um uh, and, you know, tires are just spinning. And sometimes I can feel like that is my process to trying to get started. Like the momentum once it's going is amazing. But boy, the like strength it takes to like just sit down and type the first word can feel like trying to move a giant SUV stuck on some ice. <laughs> what do you do when you're trying to overcome a block? Oh, let's see. I'm in one right now. So that's a great question. <laughs> maybe, I'm, <laughs> maybe I'm trying to talk myself to the other side in this moment. So historically, when I've been trying to overcome a block, I will use some tools because the block for me is usually information. And oftentimes for me, it's information about a fear. Um, like that there is something in me that is that thinks it's protecting me by not letting this work get out into the world, by mm. not letting me, you know, by not letting this, you know, there's something that wants to be protected in me. And so, you know, I, um, I've worked with a hypnotist before to, to help me get to what's the thing I'm afraid of that, that is, you know, compacting this process, like changing scenery, like just giving myself something drastically different than my routine to kind of shake me into a different energy. But I also am very much working on how can I lovingly be with the resistance? 
I find that when I, you know, when I am in a battle with the resistance, then it's just resistance meets resistance. But when I welcome the resistance, okay, what do you want to teach me? What are you here to, what are you here to tell me? What do you need to feel safer? You know, and sometimes it's like, I just need to rest and tend to my broken heart first. And it's like, okay, I can, can I honor that? Can I, can I let that part of me be taken care of, um, trusting that the writing will come um, when I honor the thing that is most crying for my attention first. What about editing and revising tips? Hmm. So I am, you know, I'm a notorious reviser as I go along. So don't be like me is the first thing I would say. (laughs) Every reviser that revises as they go along says that. Yes, because it really is not the most efficient. um, And it's, you know, it's breaking my first rule, which is let it suck, right? (laughs) So... And I'm like, oh, that sentence isn't, it really does elongate the process in a particular kind of way. Um, and so, you know, I, my tip would be get it all out, right? Get it all out and give yourself space from it. And this is true whether I'm revising in real time or not, is I can do all the revisions in real time. I still need to give myself space from it and then return to it with fresh eyes that then say, that sentence does not make sense, girl. And I can see that. And I can see that far more clearly um, once I've put some space between me and the text. And so that that is a really important one. Find someone you trust and turn it over. Um, and for me, that's definitely, uh, historically, it's been a, a, diff- a difficult one. It was more difficult in the past as a poet than it has been as I've started writing long form. Um, in long form, I'm like, yeah, I'm very clear. I'm too, I'm, I'm way in the weeds. So I need somebody else who's not in the weeds. But in poetry, because it's more concise, I, my ego wants to tell me I'm closer to my, you know, like I know this. <laughs> I don't need other eyes. Um, and that's and what I've just found over the years is that's just not true, no matter what the form is. Um, find a person whose um, voice and perspective you really trust. And give it over. Find find a find a uh, a cabal of folks who you trust, you know, and and turn it over to them, and then be in reflection of the feedback they offer. Would you say that writing is a form of activism for you? Uh, yeah, definitely. I write about the world I want to bring into being. And that was true if I was writing um, as a poet or writing, you know, in the space of sort of creative nonfiction, or even if I'm, I'm I'm working on a memoir project right now, and it's one of the projects I'm working on. And the activism is what is the lesson that I have learned that creates the seed for the world I want to see come into being? What's the healing that I want to create that I see for myself and that I want to Um, offer to others. And so there's always the goal of changing, um, transforming systems and ways of being that have disconnected us from ourselves and disconnected us from each other. That is a a through line in everything that I create. Talk to me about the relationship between your physical and mental health and your writing. Oh, they're peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> they just, <laughs> they go together. They go together. Um, and I think this speaks to what I was saying a bit earlier about the fact that 
when the words won't come, it's because something else needs to be tended to inside of me. And my mental health is just such a necessary anchoring. I have got to really tend to my emotional, spiritual, and energetic well-being if I want if I want words to come out on a page. <laughs> There's just no way around it. In the last year inconsistently, but I'm hoping to be more consistent in this year. Um, I am learning more and more about that physical um, well-being and and not even just like, like what are the things that generate um, vitality in me and how do I access vitality so that I can access creativity? Uh, and so that's about movement, whatever that is. And I'm, you know, I'm a proponent of joyful movement. Like if I don't enjoy it, then, you know, I'm not going to do it. It's pretty much how I feel about most of life and certainly about exercise. Uh, and so it's about cultivating what does joyful movement look like for me and how do I um, really put that in my life? How do I routinize that in such a way that it flows seamlessly into all the other sort of generative spaces that I want to move into. It's like the the car stuck on the ice. Joyful movement is the like aggressive push that, that gets those tires unstuck. Would you tell us about your experience with publishing? I have to be so honest. I don't know if it's inside of my astrological birth chart, but I have the most charmed experience with publishing of anybody, <laughs> of anybody I know. I have never written a book that a publisher did not ask me to write. Whoa. I was, I would never, you know, like I was at home minding my business and then somebody was like, you want to write a book? And that, that is true. That is literally true for every book. Wow. Um, and at this point I'm working on one, two, three, four, five. So five books and they've all come from invitations to write. And so it's been, you know, like I said, it's, it's a really charmed existence and I feel bad. I, sometimes I don't even want to tell people because I recognize that it's not <laughs> the normative experience. Um, but yeah, it's been, it has been really, you know, a place of great luck and blessing that uh, people have requested my ideas in the world. And now it's, it'll be interesting. So, you know, like I said, I'm working on a memoir project. I also have another book that I'm working on that was through request. Um, but the memoir project is the first long form project that I was like, I'm going to write this for me. And I don't, you know, we shall see, <laughs> you know, my, I'm, I am operating from the energy that since it appears that people just ask me somewhere, someone's going to come up and just be like, Hey, you got a memoir. <laughs> I'm going to be like, by the way, it just so happens. <laughs> uh, yeah. But what, what I can say is that inside of publishing, much like the excerpt that I read, it has been a process of working for me everything is relational and it is about are we in relational alignment such that together we can bring forth this thing you know mm -hmm. I, I really you know for me right now my writing is coming is occurring to me in this moment in this conversation really as a baby and I don't have any children so the books are it right and <laughs> I think that publishing is the other parent right it's like 
great. Together, we bring this thing into the world. And I want a co-parent. I don't, you know, I don't want to be a single mom. <laughs> I want to be, a, you know, yeah. I want a co-parent who really is down to share in the vision, to share in sort of the idea about what it is that we would like to see this thing do in the world. Um, you know, I want loving aunties and uncles who, uh, you know, who contribute and bring things for the baby, bring their gifts and talents and wisdom for the baby. Uh, that's that's the team that I'm interested in in being with. And so, you know, what I can say is that some of those invitations have absolutely been that. It's been such a blessing with The Body Is Not an Apology, all its editions and the workbook to work with Barrett Kohler, who have absolutely been that kind of loving co-parent family system um, that's allowed the book to come into the world. Who are one or two other women writers or creators we should be aware of right now? You should absolutely be reading Adrian Marie Brown's work. So I'm actually going to pair Adrian Marie Brown with Adrian Marie Brown's um, sort of literary mentor icon, Octavia Butler. Mm. <laughs> and I think that one of the things that Adrian does is really give us frameworks for the future um, that are all about like how we live our most liberated, pleasurable lives. And so when I think about the work of radical self-love, I can't think of the work of radical self-love without pleasure and without joy and connection. Um, and I really feel like Adrienne Marie Brown is writing us to joy and connection. And I think that Octavia Butler helps us understand the collective moment that we are in right now and what it is that we must make our way through to get to the world that Adrian Marie Brown writes about so beautifully. And so I think start with Octavia Butler so that you could just, cause she knew 30 years ago that we were getting ready to be exactly where we are right now. <laughs> and so that'll contextualize the world and what we're under and then read Adrian so that you can start being in your own, what I like to call liberatory imagination about what a pleasure filled, deeply connected future could look like. And where can listeners find you online? All the places. So you can certainly learn more about my work at my website, Um, You can learn more about the work of The Body is Not an Apology. We are not just a book. It is an entire digital media platform um, and framework and movement. And you can learn more about that at thebodyisnotanapology.com. And if you just want to hear me like yell, <laughs> if you want to hear me and my incisive commentary about the socio-political, racial justice dynamics of the world today, you should follow me on Instagram um, at Sonia Renee Taylor, and you should follow The Body Is Not an Apology at The Body Is Not an Apology. Sonia, it's been so amazing having you here today. Thank you so much for sharing your writing and your wisdom with us. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Now it's time for our writing prompt. I suggest setting a timer for six or eight minutes, putting the prompt at the top of your page, and free writing whatever comes to mind. Remember, the important part is keeping your pen moving. You can always edit later. Right now, we just want to write something new and see what happens. Using five colors, four items that you can see in your house right now, and one far away location. Write yourself 
a map back to yourself. Imagine yourself as having gotten lost someplace. It can be metaphoric, it can be literal, but having gotten lost someplace, using those guidelines, write yourself a map back to yourself. So many gems in this week's interview with Sonia Renee Taylor. My three favorite takeaways are, it's my job, no matter where I am, to figure out what is my access to beauty here. When the words won't come, it's because something else needs to be tended to inside of me. And what is the lesson that I have learned that creates the seed for the world I want to see come into being? She is so good. (laughs) If you haven't seen Sonia's book cover yet, I posted a picture of it on her episodes page on my website. It's bold and absolutely stunning. The second edition of The Body is Not an Apology is available now. There's a link to buy it in the show notes. Thanks for listening today. Leaving the podcast a five-star review on your favorite platform helps me reach more writers. It also helps when you share a favorite episode with your writing friends. I'm Sarah Gallagher, and this is Fierce Women Writing. I'll be back next Thursday with another episode. Until then, keep writing. Become a supporting member of the podcast with a monthly contribution at FierceWomenWriting.com. Get more writing prompts and engage with other writers on our Instagram page at FierceWomenWriting. Remember, women is spelled with an X. You can also help us reach more writers by sharing this episode with a friend and subscribing, downloading, and reviewing the podcast. Thank you for listening.